1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so you, may, so you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the word of the Lord. I'll let's say a quick prayer and let's look at that together for a few minutes. We've already sung it in the hymn, Lord. Uh, we pray that you would speak the words on the page into our context, into our time, into our lives. Help us to understand. In Jesus' name. Amen. When somebody dies, however it happens, whether it's in a war, whether it's in a disaster like the Grenfell fire, whether it's in an accident or through an illness, or through violence of any kind. When somebody dies, it's as though they walk out the room. The rest of us are still in the room together. But they're gone. They've closed the door behind them. And we're left asking, where is he now? Will she be all right? Will we see him again? Is she in heaven? Is there such a place as heaven? Perhaps we ask the personal questions too. What will happen to us? To you, to me, when we die, when it's our turn, will we be all right? And what we're reading in the Bible today is written by someone personally appointed by Jesus to teach the truth about those things. That's the relevance of looking into the Bible together now. It's hugely relevant. It's wonderful what he has to say. Look with me, would you, at verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind. You have no hope. He doesn't want them to be uninformed. Uh, the word he uses is the one from which we get the word agnostic, without knowledge. And so this bit of the Bible is designed to fill a gap in our knowledge. And of course we've got that gap, haven't we, when it comes to knowing about the future, what lies beyond death. Science tells us many things... But no scientist can conduct an experiment where he or she dies and then comes back to tell us all about it. We can send a, a probe to Mars. We can't send the probe into eternity to give us a reading of what it's like there. But you see, in Jesus, God himself came into our world so that we can know about these things. We don't have to be agnostic. We can know about life and death and eternity. God wants you and me to have a sure hope 
in the face of death. That's what verse 13 is saying. I say the word sure hope because it's what the Bible means by the word hope. Often we use the word hope as a sort of, well, hope so, maybe, vague possibility kind of hope. You know, I hope it's a white Christmas this year. Maybe, hope so. But when the Bible uses the word here and in other places, it's talking about hope as a confidence about the future. I know something's going to happen in the future and it makes such a difference today knowing what's going to happen then. Like knowing when it's wet and cold and wintry, if we hang on for long enough, it will eventually be spring and summer again. And that keeps you going and means you plan ahead. Or like knowing you're going to be on holiday again at Christmas, but school will finish again. And so you start looking forward to it and planning for it. And maybe you're thinking the same if you're, if you're at work. And that keeps you going when it's hard. That's Bible hope. A confidence about the future that makes a difference now. And it's so relevant because often we, we sort of we have a sort of hope-so kind of hope, whether, you know, we hear predictions about the weather, we hear the policies of politicians, even our own hopes and dreams, we hope they're going to come about, but we don't know that they're going to come about. And that can make us really cautious when it comes to investing ourselves deeply with our hope. And so when verse 13 speaks about this sure hope, it then gives us two reasons for it, two guarantees of it in verses 14 and 15. Look down with me, would you, at verse 14. The first guarantee there is Jesus' death and resurrection means we can have a sure hope. Verse 14, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him. At Christmas, the season coming up, we remember the way that God in Jesus came into the world. Then at Easter is the time of year we remember that the reason he came into the world, that he died. He, he died on the, on the cross for our sins to pay for us. That he rose and then he went back to heaven to be with God forever. He beat death. Jesus Christ did. He beat it forever and he beat it for everyone who puts their faith in him. Every boy, every girl, every man, every woman who says yes to Jesus, I want to be your person. What you did back then in history, I want that to be for me. And do you see what verse 14 is talking about? It's talking about a link that is made between the, the boy, the girl, the man, the woman who puts their faith in Jesus and, and, and him and all he stands for and who he is and what he's done, that actually we belong to him. It's like super glue. It's like the strongest super glue. It can never be broken. Nothing can unstick us from Jesus if we put our faith in him because what's true of him is true of all his people. He died and rose, so we'll die and rise. That's what verse 14 is saying, isn't it? God will raise people when Jesus returns. And so do you see the way that the worst of enemies is given the best of names? See the way that death's talking about? It's called sleep. Dying is it's just falling asleep. And there's going to come this wonderful day when Jesus returns and, and wakes us all up again. Just like the most amazing night's sleep ever, as John led us in the prayers, that there will be no, no more suffering in that world. No more death in that world. 
Remember it's something is about stopping in our lives and remembering the past, remembering that the freedoms that we enjoy came at such a great price, being inspired by those examples and those who made such sacrifices. But, and Christian faith too is remembering what has been done in the past, knowing that Jesus died in history. He died to deal with the wrong in our lives, uh, to bring that freedom to know God forever. He's, it's done by him. And he rose from the dead to prove that he is the one who delivers that. He's not just inspiring, although he is. He changes everything for the person who puts their faith in him and in what he's done. That's why, going back to verse 13, we do not grieve like those who have no hope. Do you see? If, Jesus, if this is just a story, not a true story, then when you and I die, what are we, got, what are we putting our hope in? But it's saying that because Jesus, it transforms everything. Now, it doesn't mean we don't grieve. Of course we grieve. We will, goodness me, bereavement is the most painful of human experiences. It's like losing a part of yourself when you lose someone close to you. Uh, when Jesus went to uh, the graveside of his friend Lazarus, he was about to raise him from the dead, but he wept. And when we lose people, we will weep tears too. But you see, that this is saying, we will weep the tears, we will be full of grief. But it will be transformed by the reality of what Jesus has done. That it won't be tears of despair. It will be tears of anguish. Tears of anger, maybe. Tears of sadness, tears of loss but not hopelessness, not despair, because in the midst of it all is a sure hope in the face of death, because Jesus died and rose, and he will wake up everyone who puts their faith in him. So it's guaranteed by something in the past, and verse 15, it's also guaranteed by something certain about the future, Jesus' promise about the future. Verse 15, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you the following things. Jesus made a, a number of promises about the future and this is uh, assuring us that we can totally trust them. Now, that's worth hearing, um, not least the uh, adults in the room are, are well aware that uh, with a general election happening next month, there's lots of promises being made, aren't there at the moment? And it's up to us to discern whether the people who are making those promises are particularly likely to keep all of them, any of them or some of them. And that's the whole political process nowadays. Sometimes it is still good to make promises we won't be able to keep 100% of the time because it's good to promise to do the right thing. So we've got Scouts and Beavers with us today. And you guys, you've got the Scout promise, haven't you? You promise to do your best. Is that right? I looked it up. I had to remember it. But you don't have to remember it. I was a cub, not a scout. Our Kayla, we promise that we will do our best to do our duty to God and to the Queen to help other people and to keep, in my case, the Cub Scout law. And our Kayla would say to us, Cubs, do your best. We will do our best. That was a great thing to promise. And to say sorry to God when we don't do it and sorry to other people when we don't do it, but then to say, okay, let's try again. So sometimes promises, 
they're worth making even when we don't keep them 100% of the time. But every now and again, you do meet someone in life who really, really, really does try and keep their promises, all of them. And of course they still fail, but it really stands out. That person who, when they promise they'll be there at such and such a time, you rely on them being at such and such a time because you know they will bust a gut. They will do everything they can to be there a few minutes early so that they don't keep you waiting. And there are still people in like that, that in time, even in the days of sending a text message, I'll just be another five minutes. Or the friend who promises, um, the, the, sorry, the student, the, the, the colleague who promises to get a piece of work done and you rely on them getting that piece of work done, even though you know it might mean that they have to stay up all night or work all weekend, and they get that work done because they have said so. And there are people that you meet in life, and they stand out. Jesus Christ, most of all. When God makes a promise, when Jesus makes a promise, we totally rely on him to keep it, to do everything within his power to fulfil his words. That's who we're talking about, these promises about the future that we're reading today. So I guess the application question is, are you and I trusting those promises? Are we putting our hope in those promises about the future for ourselves, for our families? If not, who or what are you trusting for the future, for yourself, for your family, for the rest of life? for death, for eternity. There are lots of opinions, aren't there, about what happens after you die. But those opinions are either from people who are still alive, who haven't died and have therefore no relevant experience about the matter, or they're the opinions of people who are dead and can't tell us whether they were right or not. Apart from one Jesus died and rose. He is uniquely qualified to speak about the future. Do you see? This is world-changing. It's life-changing. It's wonderful. We have verse 15, his promise about the future as a solid foundation for a sure hope in the face of death. And what does he promise? He promises that he's coming back. Verse 16, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, the voice of an archangel with a trumpet call of God. It's obviously picture language, but it's, it's picture language that this will be unmissable. Jesus came in humility at the first Christmas. Many people missed him. He won't be possible when he returns. He will come in power. He will banish evil forever into hell. He will make everything right. A new heaven and a new earth is the language the Bible uses. It'll, and it'll be a wonderful reunion when he dies for his people. Look at verse 15. We tell you that we were still alive. We are left at the coming of the Lord. We not precede those who fall asleep. Everyone who's died in the past will wake up. After that, verse 17, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Do you see? It's picture language. But it's wonderful pictures of reunion, of restoration of all things, of people being right, of seeing Jesus face to face at last and being reunited with everyone who's died with their faith in him. Therefore, verse 18 encourage each other with these words. That's the future for all of us. It's not a matter of opinion. It's what God says. It's going to happen. 
you buy a calendar for 2020 or for 2021 or on, on from there. I can't give you a date to put in and sort of ring the date. I can't tell you whether it's going to be a year or two or 2,000 more years. I can't tell you that. But your future, my future, the thing that is definitely going to happen in our futures, that if we did know the date we should write in our calendar, is that Jesus is coming. That's going to happen. And then there'll be a restoration of all things. He's promised. And it's more certain than anything else we do write in or on our phones. And so that is a sure hope that will transform our lives because if we're living towards then, it transforms the way we live daily life, our priorities, but it also transforms, it really transforms our experience of grief and bereavement. If you'd like to know more, on the right-hand side as you go out, there's a little rack and these little booklets called Knowing God Personally. There's not much more in there, but there's a bit more, there's a bit more sort of context to what I've said. Um, If you'd like to talk more, I'd love to have a brew or a beer or whatever works, and we can talk more in the coming days. But as we remember today, God wants you and me to know a sure hope in the face of death, and we can, because Jesus died and rose, and because we know Jesus promised for the future, which we can totally rely on. So verse 18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Amen.